Welcome to Voices of E-Learning, reflecting the people living and breathing the future of education and online learning with your host, J.W. Marshall. Hello and welcome everyone to today's episode. I'm J.W. Marshall, Learning Solutions Director at MarketScale, and we've got a great guest on the podcast today. We've got Jim Huffman. He is the founder and CEO of Growth Hit and also the author of The Growth Marketer's Playbook. Jim, great to have you with us today. Awesome. Yeah, JW, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. And before we get started, I'm going to go ahead and let you give our audience a little bit of background on yourself and on your company and on your book. Yeah, absolutely. So I am the the CEO of Growth Hit. We are a uh, a growth marketing consultancy. Um, what that really means is we essentially function as your outsource head of growth, and we specialize in one thing, and that's running on site experiments on on websites. And so a lot of times that's called conversion rate optimization. So we work with um, you know some some big companies um, in the e commerce space and the lead generation space, and some companies that are VC backed kind of raise over a B round of funding. Um, but yeah, that that's what my agency does. I've also wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook, and I was starting to uh, teach a lot of digital marketing and work with some some really cool startup accelerators. And along the way, I I had like 500 slides of content. I kind of put it together as a book to kind of help people that are are really taking an idea to that next level, like the the playbook I wish I would have had. So um, yeah, that's the the growth marketers playbook essentially. Perfect. And part of the reason why we wanted to have you on the uh... Voices of E-Learning podcast is you do have that teaching background. Um, tell us a little bit about your background in uh, working with ANA um, and, and any other kind of relevant online learning or learning uh, experiences that you've got in your background. Yeah, I um, I started off my career actually like in marketing. Well, I started in finance. I went to marketing and I was fortunate to work with um, a startup that, that really got some good growth. And so I, I felt like I got to accelerate my knowledge in digital marketing. You know, probably what people could learn in four to six years, I was able to compress that to two years. And then from that, that kind of got me another job at startup running digital marketing. But the funny thing is that then got me um, a job at General Assembly part-time teaching digital marketing. And once I started getting into education and being viewed as, I cringe at the phrase, but like a thought leader having to teach, that really made made myself up my game and what that did to just kind of open up doors for opportunities was, was, was pretty significant. Um, cause that led to then doing like a course with LinkedIn and connecting with some venture firms to teach there. Um, and then doing a course with, with click minded. So I, I've been able to have a few goes at it to, to learn about, you know, selling an online product, selling a course, teaching and what that can do if you have a service business um, to kind of open the doors for potential clients and customers. And then on on the agency side, what's been kind of fascinating is just in the past three to six month, months, the, the boom of online education and, and e-learning. We've um, been working with a few clients that are in the e-learning and the online simulation space and just seeing the demand that they have as a lot of businesses are having to adapt to this post-COVID world and get into e-learning. So it's kind of interesting and interesting seeing it on both sides is like being someone that's making content, but then also being an agency that's serving uh, specific e-learning platforms. Wow. So there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I think I'll start out with uh, the courses that you've created, uh, the LinkedIn, the Quick Minded. Um, 
What benefits have you seen from those courses? Has it been lead generation or just uh, seeing being seen as a thought leader in those markets? W- what's been your experience there? Yeah, I mean, there, there's no doubt that lead generation is a key component to it just because I think anytime you can be positioned in the eyes of a potential client or customer as a thought leader, it really helps you, especially when they start to do price shot or price comparisons or they start looking at competitors. Because if you're the first person that introduced them to a category or kind of showed them the blueprint or the fundamentals of it, you do have that advantage, which is why, like, even when we're selling, before we even get on a sales call with somebody, we want to give them our content just so they view us from that lens. And we're not just another person or another agency on a spreadsheet that they're trying to get the the price from right that so for me like going into the door first as a thought leader is everything that's how I'd, I'd want to be introduced um, the second thing is I, I kind of put it two ways one is it's definitely good for lead generation but also by putting yourself out there and by being you know a go-to source for a certain type of content there's some other benefits that you you don't necessarily know about whether it's partnerships that can arise that could come from that but the other one is acquiring talent because one thing that we've seen is we've had some of our most talented people come to us because of the content that we saw so I, I never really saw the benefits of it from an HR uh, perspective but it's really led to two of our our, our our best hires was by putting the content out there. Um, and also, I think it's it's so easy to sit behind a spreadsheet or Google Doc and think of strategies and things you want to do. But those strategies in your Google Doc do not get results. You need to put them into action. And by forcing yourself to make content and put yourself out there, you're actually testing things. You're putting things in market, getting feedback and starting to learn from it. So it's also forced me to kind of put ourselves out there where I feel like for years we wouldn't do that. We would just kind of be working behind the scenes. That's great that you mentioned acquiring talent through making courses available. Uh, we, we talk a lot about that, that, uh, you know, your employees are consuming education, online courses outside of work, whether that's LinkedIn Learning, Masterclass, uh, Udemy, there's so many, I don't want to name drop all of them. Um, And there's this void that employers are not providing this high engagement, uh, whether it's upskilling or just continuing education at their workplace. Um, And we often warn, you know, if you don't do it, somebody else will. And so it's interesting that uh, those high engagement hires you have probably were working somewhere else that wasn't providing that that same level. For those uh, in our audience out there that are thinking about getting started with something like this, what would you recommend as a, as a first step or uh, maybe something to watch out for? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think the, the first thing I would want to do is I'd go to kind of first principles of like, okay, what is the main purpose of this content? As we kind of lay out those options, is it lead generation? Is it building a brand awareness? Is it talent acquisition? Is it just to kind of raise yourself as a premium brand that is a thought leader? Because once you really understand your intentions, that can absolutely help you kind of carve out the course, the strategy, the go-to-market approach and everything. The other thing that I would do is um, 
it is so daunting to think of creating content, especially if it's a course that's multiple hours or workshops or sessions and all the video that can go behind it. Um, I would actually potentially think of what is, you know, two things. What is the quickest way to get it to market? One. The second is, what do you already have in your SOPs and the way you operate that the byproduct of that could be a course? Like the guys from Basecamp and 37 Signals talk about byproduct a lot, right? Where, you know, what is the byproduct of the work you do and how could that be a course? Because they've made a lot of great ebooks and whatnot from that. Because it, it's it's very daunting to take this on. It's like, oh man, oh crap. Who who are the people we're going to put on this? How much bandwidth they do they have? But if you can repurpose stuff you're already making, what is the lowest way to get that to market? If it's you know a simple video course, if it's a video course plus an ebook or using something like Teachable or Gumroad. Um, and then I would really put a date on it for when you want to put it live. And the thing that really forced me to get my course live was that I told the public, by the way, the public, I just mean like our 5,000 plus email subscribers and anyone who reads our, our blog that, hey, we're launching this course on this date. And so some people were asking about it. And so just by you know having the, uh, the pressure that we put on ourselves by announcing it, it really forced us to, to hit that deadline. That's great. You got to hold yourself accountable sometimes. Um, really great advice. Shifting gears just a little bit here, um, you talk about uh, how not selling is the key to getting more business. Uh, at market scale, we believe you know that education is the highest form of marketing. Uh, people don't want to be sold to; they want to be educated. Um, how does that line up for you as far as what do, what do you mean by not selling is the key to getting more business? Yeah, absolutely. So if if you can be very smart about who you're making the content for, the distribution channels that you're going to be putting it on, you know right away that those people are right for whatever you're offering is, if that's a product or service. So if you've taken care of that, you essentially can remove the selling component because you've already qualified. And if you make content that truly resonates with them, the selling will take care of itself. If you're making that ebook on you know the, the top 10 things to do when hiring a head of growth or, you know, what how like your growth strategy should change in 2021 or whatever that is, if they are smart and savvy, they will be able to connect the dots as you're creating content that's ideal for their persona. It's adding value. They're going to want more and more. And eventually, they're going to be like, okay, I just want to talk to the the team behind the content because I want that for my strategy. So I think a lot of the legwork is done up front and how you target the content and the type of content you create. And then it can just take care of itself. Perfect. And I've made it over 10 minutes before asking this question for the first time. How have things changed in the past six months uh, due to the pandemic? Um, what have you seen out there in the market uh, as far as online learning, as far as marketing or digital marketing? What are the emerging trends or uh, what's kind of being accelerated as an existing trend uh, that, that everyone is now trying to figure out how to do? Yeah, I, I think the big thing is, I mean, everyone's 2020 plans just got you know, crumpled up and, and thrown in the wastebasket after March. So you should probably do the same with, with your marketing strategy. And so one of the big things is really meeting consumers where they are, not just like, you know, digitally, physically, but kind of mentally. It's like 
you could be going after an industry that has been totally upended. So their problems, what they care about are totally different than in January. Uh, you could also be going after an industry that's experiencing a huge boom, whether that's e-commerce or the online learning space. So they have totally different problems coming in. Like we've seen some companies have gone from an outbound company to an inbound company real quick. So first meeting consumers where they are, um, you know, mentally and online, because everyone is working remotely. How does that change their behaviors? They're not going to conferences. There's more virtual lunch and learns, more virtual conferences, um, more um, impressions online. So knowing where they live. Um, the other thing that I'm seeing especially right now um, in the B2B space is kind of doing this uh, ABM strategy of account-based marketing um, because, you know, it's, you, you can't just throw money at conferences. You can't throw money at the sales team to take people out to dinners. So it's about, okay, how do we do this bottoms up approach to growth? And so for a lot of times that's figuring out your ideal customer personas, doing the pre-ads to them. And those ads should all be content and e-learning. And then after two weeks of those pre-ads of giving content, hopefully they've warmed up to your brand. And then you can start getting in front of them with a cold outreach uh, strategy or a warm intro strategy. And then you start going after them with content that's relevant to where they are right now. I, I, I've seen that do extremely well. But, um, but yeah, yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see you know how long this holds as things potentially go back to normal whenever that is and but remote learning remote work still kind of stays i i think you know th that's going to be here to stay for quite a while and, and you've beat me to my next question hopefully six 12 months however long it is things start getting back to normal what do you think the residual effects are? You know, will we will never go back to the way it was with uh, thousands of conferences and and face to face meetings? You think we'll kind of end up somewhere in a hybrid of more digital and uh, and less uh, kind of face to face, or or where do you think we'll kind of land here? Yeah, I think it'll be a hybrid. I think it definitely depends by industry and by you know product type because you know. With some businesses, I think it's being shown that, wow, we, we didn't have to do all these meetings face-to-face -face, or we didn't have to wine and dine like we thought. You know, it's, it's a totally different sales approach. And a lot of this can happen virtually with tools that we have of, you know, Zoom or doing, you know, DocuSign, whatever that is. So I think some industries have been changed forever. Others, I think when it comes back, there could be this huge opportunity of people ready to get out and network and how how can you take what you've learned during this downturn to actually reinvent how people start collaborating together at conferences or do more kind of engaging ways to be interactive uh, together? And what are some of the platforms that you use or your clients use to to deliver on digital content marketing, on uh, online learning? Yeah, um, you know, Definitely, like we've seen, I've got one where they're on Teachable, where they they launch their course. Um, you know, some people when they're doing eBooks, they're you know they're doing Gumroad or something like that. Um, we have seen th this is a little bit more of you know not necessarily packaging things up, but using tools from Loom to Zoom to an asynchronous video tool like Voodle to to really, you know, 
give content in a rich way with with video. Um, Vidyard I'm seeing used mainly on the sales side, but I see a big uptick with that because so many sales teams have to do things online. Um, so so I'm interested to see um, you know how well or how how much adoption those tools get over the next few months. Absolutely, and and you mentioned trade shows earlier. Those probably aren't going to come back anytime too soon um, or not nearly to the degree they were before. Um, have you seen uh, companies struggle with some of the virtual events in the kind of conversion since most of these trade show organizations weren't prepared to do online? And uh, have you seen some companies be successful at putting on their own uh, live broadcast events or recorded events or online learning courses in lieu of their trade show presence? Yeah, definitely seeing a lot. I mean, it's just so hard to do the conference the way you think of it, um, but online. So you have to like really rethink that. It's like, what are your advantages and disadvantages with being online all of a sudden? And so I, I think what I'm interested in is people trying to do it in, a, in an innovative way, whether it's using new tools like the, the video tool that Lit just launched called mm, on, on how to do video conferencing in an interesting and engaging way. Um, I do think that it's the verdict's still out on you know how to get that same rich experience you get in a conference, but online. I haven't seen anybody truly pull it off. Um, but I am I am impressed by people that are you know the the hard part with conferences is you have to get on planes and fly everywhere to to get people one place. The good thing about virtual, it's very easy, so you don't have to make it this one time grand event because everybody doesn't have to be in the same place. If you can spread it out instead of going for one big massive event, but instead do something that's still rich, but not as long, but do it more frequently, you actually start to train your potential customers or your your audience to come back to you again and again to get that content. So you could potentially be building a much richer and longer long-term relationship with consumers because you're talking to them instead of once a year, it's once a month. So whether that's virtual lunch and learns, launching live recordings every Thursday or once a month, um, those things could actually be good at increasing your relationship with people, even though it's, it's online versus offline. That's great advice. And we're definitely seeing that as well. Uh, a quarterly event instead of once a year, especially in industries that are fast changing, right? So much can change in 12 months. Sometimes uh, you don't even get a chance to talk about something because it's already changed by the time that next annual conference rolls around. So that's a great point. Um, kind of shifting back to the, the e-learning aspect. Um, we've learned, schools have learned, businesses have learned that it's not a one-to-one, uh, take what you did on site, uh, or in person and just do the same thing online. Um, what kind of advice, uh, would you give to companies as far as the, the things that have to be different, uh, in that kind of transition, that conversion into online? Yeah, um, different as far as learning. I mean, people learn in in so many different ways. But one thing that that I like to see is, you know, you you do have the benefit of you can test different things online much faster, much easier, and you can put a lot more in front of them. So 
I, I like giving the full package of materials from video to scripts to workbooks to case studies to lecturing all in one and then let people kind of choose and go at their pace. Give them the audio file if they like listening to it that way because that is the benefit is you can literally hand over a package to choose how they learn because everybody's different. So for me, I like seeing people be flexible to that because a lot of times those packages do extremely well because you're basically setting people up to succeed, giving them whatever mechanism they want for learning. Absolutely. That's great advice. Uh, I think what we're also seeing is hybrid events. Some of it is online on demand. Some of it is online live. Um, What's uh, been your take on kind of seeing a, a combination of both live and on demand? Yeah. um, So I have some thoughts on this because with clients, we've been testing this quite a bit where obviously with the live one, we get a lot of pushback as we're promoting those like, oh, it's not my time zone or oh, I have some other meeting during that time. So that is an issue. They are so rich when you can get that dynamic feedback and you can get the kind of ripple effect of conversation referrals on social plant channels like Twitter and LinkedIn. So I think it really depends on the type of content, what you're putting out there. If it's like a, a kind of ongoing, like common course or pitch you have, it could be one that's, you know, pre-recorded that is, you know, people can sign up for on, on an ongoing basis. The live events I do like when it is something epic, when you have a key anchor piece or subject that would draw a lot of people to kind of rearrange their schedule around it. So I think it definitely, definitely can vary and depends. Yeah. I think part of what we're seeing is, uh, the on-demand access is 24-7. People can consume it at any time. And that's kind of the level one foundational stuff, the the basic content, thought leadership, or uh, building of a skill if it's an online course. And then the live event is you've kind of pre-qualified someone. They want that live uh, event to do Q&A or to kind of take their knowledge to the next level. Uh, have you seen that combination work? Yeah, especially if you want to use that on-demand content matter as almost a tripwire to help you qualify. That works extremely well. And then if they solid, their intent is really high, then it's worth you investing the time to actually have them be a part of that that live experience. So it is a good way to kind of, you know, build that full funnel to start to qualify potential uh, customers. And we've even seen it a step further with some uh, companies getting tens of thousands of resumes, uh, providing maybe a one hour course on uh, a job role and having that be an extra hoop to better qualify uh, job applicants um, is kind of an interesting uh, way that we've seen online learning start to uh, kind of play out in new ways that we never really would have thought people would uh, engage with before. I I couldn't agree more because especially as you start to filter through resumes, one way you want to qualify is have they truly shown the intent and interest to be a part of your company or your mission or the industry you're in? And if someone has taken the time to watch a course, has notes on it, and sent you an email 
reverse someone who bypassed it and is just doing a spray and pray approach with various jobs, it really helps you filter down because um, anytime you get an HR and resumes, it's just a game of numbers. And the faster you can whittle it down to the, the potential A players, the, the better. So if for us, it's been fantastic. Um, literally, our last candidate watched all of our stuff and then even recommended some other ones to us. And it truly like bypassed that person to the like two rounds of interviews. That's amazing. And that's, I think, really, uh, we'll see with the long-term data that comes in, but could really help retention as well. So people have an even better idea of what they're getting into as they're evaluating uh, a p- potential employer opportunities um, on the flip side. So uh, any other things like that, examples of uh, kind of silver linings for this whole pandemic um, as far as uh, new ways that technology is being leveraged? Yeah, um, I do think, you know, a lot of industries were already pretty quick to embrace online learning, online education. I think some were kind of stuck in their old ways um, and maybe had everything in old files or paperwork or handwritten SOPs. It has just accelerated people that I think would have taken 5, 10, 15 years to get them up to speed in, in under six months. And so I, I think it is painful, but that adoption is just going to make it so much better for these these companies to like, once they get familiar with it and maybe think, hopefully things settle down with the pandemic, um, they will have totally like reset an entire initiative and organization. So it's, it's, it's quite impressive. All right. Let's transition one last time um, to your book, uh, The Growth Marketers Playbook. Uh, tell us a little bit more about wh- what's in the book. What are some key takeaways for anyone that would be interested in uh, going out and purchasing uh, an online version or a physical copy? Um, what, what would be the main takeaways that they're going to get out of the book? Yeah, for sure. So I was teaching to a general assembly. I was teaching uh, to a couple startup accelerators. And after, I don't know, we'll call it two years of doing that and getting countless feedback, I took everything that I presented in what to know about growing a business online. And I took all the questions that I got, the content that resonated, I kind of packed it together in in one book. Basically the things I wish I would have known when I was starting to take over run growth at a company. Um, From, you know, what should your KPIs be? How to know you're even ready for growth? How to validate that you're ready to kind of go to that next level and then how to create repeatable and scalable ways to grow. And I, I love case studies and examples. So I pack some in there. So hopefully um, it's a book that allow you to read it and, and quickly kind of bypass some other things so you can, you know, start to, to grow your business effectively. And it was an Amazon bestseller and a claim to fame. You pushed Seth Godin off the number one spot for 72 hours. That's got to feel good. Yeah, 72 glorious hours, and then he quickly uh, passed, passed the book. But yeah, had, had, I have the screenshot to prove it, so there we go. There you go. All right, well, I think that's about all the time that we have for today's episode. But Jim, it's been great having you on. Yeah, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Keep, uh, keep up the great content. Absolutely, and uh, thank you everyone out there for listening. And as always, uh, never stop learning.